0: Hey everyone, welcome to The Tension Podcast, where we acknowledge that most of life and faith is lived in the tension between the two extremes. On this show, we're going to look at what many of us were taught growing up in evangelical churches, weigh it against what our current culture is saying, and try to find what Jesus has for us in the tension between the two. If we haven't met, my name is Jonathan Krohn, and we're joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people.
1: What's up? Hey, this is a uh, uh, you know typically like say something funny or irreverent at the beginning. Um, This episode doesn't feel like that's appropriate, but eh, yeah, I mean, it was
0: based on a TV show starring Jason Siegel and a cranky Harrison Ford. So, I mean, we can make some Mm -hmm. jokes,
1: I guess. So specifically because like, if you saw Harrison Ford in his like press junket beforehand and he was going on talk shows and stuff like that, he did have a quote where one of the first things he said to Jason Siegel when they met was like, he made a comment about his, uh, Nether regions, uh, because he had seen him in like Forgetting Sarah Marshall or whatever. I think he literally said, like, nice stuff. Expletive deleted. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We don't want the expletive tag today. But I-, I made a joke about it. If you haven't seen it, this week's episode is actually inspired by the Apple TV show Shrinking. In that show, it centers around a main character, Jason Siegel, who lost his wife a year ago and has been doing anything he could to avoid processing his grief. And This idea is something that as I'm watching the show, I realized that in our church spaces, we do this a lot where we just try to mask it. We don't talk about it and we, we move on. And then on the other side of it, we end up living in our grief and that becomes who we are on the show. Jason Siegel's character turned to drugs and pills to get through the day. uh, And he completely neglected his job at that time. And he neglected his daughter. So that was just the first episode. It went through the entire season and we see him start to learn how to process grief and move forward in life. But what I found interesting and why I wanted to do this episode today is it isn't just a feel good story of a guy getting over his grief and then moving on. Like most of us, like, it's like, oh, this bad thing happened. I'm hurt. I'm going to go through it. And now I'm better. What I find interesting about it and the tension that we live in is our grief never goes away and it's a tension. It's a step-by-step process of grieving and moving on. So while this was a completely secular show, we do want to look at this from a biblical perspective. So like we do each week, we're going to do a brief introduction of both the extremes of this tension, and then we're going to talk about how we live in the tension between them. So Eric, on one side, we've got this idea of living in your grief. I think it's important mm-hmm. for us to define our terms here. You're really great at that. So how would you define grief?
1: Well, I think before we get into that too, because there's one thing about shrinking that I thought was also interesting in addition to uh, that relates to this living in your grief thing. And and I'm not going to give any spoilers for people that haven't seen it, but at one point in the conversation, J- Jason Siegel's character, he has a he has kind of a, a heated discussion with Harrison Ford's character, who's like the managing partner of their therapy practice. And they're talking about him grieving his wife. And he says, I've been grieving for an entire year. And Harrison Ford stops him. He's like, no, you just started. Like you haven't even started to do it. So this idea of we sometimes even in the church or in this tension is we might think we're living in our grief. Because we think that we're doing these things, but we haven't even started. And so I think there's so much confusion around it. And so much misperception, even for the people that are going through, um, that's important. And so, you know, grief, man, is is um, it's it's one of the emotions that I would say is like you know a level ten emotion because you can go through uh, loss, you can go through um, you know sadness, you can go through other pieces like that, but grief is like a combination of multiple emotions at a much deeper level. So when you talk about like, you know, because I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast before I've done funerals before, um, you know, being a, being a pastor formerly in ministry and, and telling people like, sorry for your loss. Or I've been talking about how people have been grieving. But in reality, I don't think that we use those terms appropriately because you, just because you lost somebody doesn't mean that you're actually grieving. Just because you're sad doesn't mean you're actually grieving. And I think that uh, grief is a deeply personal experience um, that really kind of means different things to different people. But essentially, you have to get to that level 10 to consider yourselves in a period of grief.
0: Yeah. And the Mayo Clinic gave a really great like textbook type of definition for this. They said that grief is a strong, sometimes overwhelming emotion for people, regardless of whether their sadness stems from the loss of a loved one or from a terminal diagnosis. They might find themselves feeling numb and removed from daily life, unable to carry on with regular duties while saddled with their sense of loss. Grief is the natural reaction to loss. Grief is both a universal and a personal experience. And. I think when it when we are dealing with things that cause grief, we feel like it's a personal thing that only happens to us, but we all experience grief on some level uh my personal experience recently is I lost both of my parents within the span of about three and a half years uh I never would have expected I would have been at the time thirty five years old with both of my parents not being alive anymore, and I had to figure out how to deal with that, and I didn't grieve that for a long time. we'll get into that in a little bit, but most of us lost something during the pandemic, whether it was a friend or a family member or a job or a way of life or Eric the, all of these for you during the pandemic
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean like leading into the pandemic uh, my my grandmother passed uh during the pandemic, my grandfather passed uh my mom passed uh my wife's grandfather and grandma passed. Um, you know, all of those things, like in that span of that two to three year period, um, not to mention, think of all of us universally lost things, um, in ways of life and the ability to connect with others. I mean, like for some of you, like you didn't get a chance to, I mean, I think about the high school kids that didn't get graduations because that, so like there's a grief for losing that bit. Um, there's a sense of like, you, you, you lost the connection with loved ones. But those of you that lost people, like we didn't have, we weren't able to gather and have funerals for some of those people, or we weren't able to attend them because we couldn't travel to go that way. So there are those pieces of like delayed grief as well. Um, I, I changed jobs during the pandemic. And so, like, I lost a career in ministry and I lost a job and something that was like identifying. And along with that, um, you lose this sense of community. You know, because if you change jobs or if you leave a church or anything else like that, there's grieving the loss of a previous sense of normalcy. So anytime that there's a change event, I think grief has to happen on some level. And then you also get that third party type of grief that, you know, Jonathan, you just talking about losing your parents. Like immediately I start to think about my mom, you know, and you say like, I have to figure out how to be an adult without my mom and my dad. And I literally was just having this conversation with my dad and my wife, you know, where it was like something comes up where you think mom would have known what to do about this. Oh gosh, that hurts. Or, you know, Easter, uh, was one of the recent, as we record, this was like the most recent gathering holiday that we had. And it's like, uh, mom had a great recipe for this. And now that brings back the event and the grief all over again. So grief isn't even a one-time event that happens because of a loss. It's something that continues to happen every time you're reminded of it. And like that third party, when I see someone else grieving, part of me empathizes uh, with that grief because I've either felt that or it brings about my similar expectation, which, you know, in the idea of living in your grief, that's why groups and uh, celebrate recovery. And uh, I'm trying to think of the other ones, Uh, uh, all those different, you know,
0: the care ministries,
1: basic yeah care ministries right that that pop up around it and they're all based around what sharing your stories so it goes somebody'll teach some biblical thing and then it's like all right now go around the table and talk about your stuff and everybody's going to share their story and it's a it's a big old yes and fest yep yep uh, oh man Jonathan that stinks here's what happened to me and and we're just grieving together
0: and i don't want to make light of losing family members or friends to death because that obviously is very serious and causes a lot of grief. But one of the things that we don't realize causes grief is when we lose friendships. And I know one thing to be true about the people who are listening to the show is that many of you have lost friendships over the last few years as a result of Just how politicized our culture has become, how some of the things in the church have been happening. You've you've left a church. There's a stat out there. We'll talk about this later this season that 40% of the people who go to church don't go to the same church they went to before the pandemic. So you've lost friendships, and that causes grief as well. And like I said a minute ago, we all experience grief on some level. But on the one side of this extreme is when your grief becomes your identity. You've heard the the term grieving widow because it's a derogatory term because that becomes the identity of someone. And I don't want you to think that I'm minimizing this or saying that there should be shame involved in this. Like no one chooses to be grief stricken. That's not something that is just a, a conscious choice in most cases. But if we're not careful, our grief can become overwhelming and it can become something that becomes our identity to where that's all we put our focus on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like you want to live in your pain, but then your pain defines you. Um, and in some cases, you know, and I know, I know again with the, with the caveat that we don't want to uh, talk about, you know, we don't want to put shame on you for, for grieving. I do think it's worth mentioning that in some cases that letting grief become your identity, being that you know grieving widow, so to speak, um, is a defense mechanism that actually keeps us from actually grieving. We're not grieving. We've just taken on a separate persona. And that separate persona is meant for people to feel bad for us. And it's meant for us to um, insulate ourselves with a shell in the same way as what we talked about with that show Shrinking, where it's like, I have been grieving the last year. And it's like, no, you haven't. What you've done is, inadvertently, as a defense mechanism, as a means of protecting yourself, you've taken on a new persona of the person who lost so and so. Right, Um, man. I really. uh, Side note. I don't know if I need to say. I'm gonna say it. Whatever. So, uh, my wife and I know somebody in our fan. In (laughs) my God, I don't know. This is so tough. I'm gonna say. My wife and I know somebody that if I give too much information around (laughs) then it's probably going to anyway, my wife and I know somebody, this individual on Facebook, all they post about is their, the the loss that they've had uh, of, of both their husband and their animals, oddly enough. And we get regular correspondence, Christmas cards, letters, birthday cards, things like that from this individual. And this individual always signs it with their name, and uh wife of, you know, or whatever, wife of the person they lost, mother of the oh, wow. animals that they lost. Okay. Oh yeah. did see that. Every did, I did not see thing. that part coming. No, nope, it is. And it's like, we know who you are. Like this is a close person to our family that's like you're writing a personal letter to us and our kids for an event because if you're close enough to actually like send someone a birthday card, right? It's like, we know you don't need to sign your own letter. Literally putting almost like your title, like name and then title is wife of the person I lost. And so from an empathetic standpoint, I get it where it's like, that's what this person needs to do in order to protect themselves from the, from the actual pain of experiencing grief. So even in the living in your grief category, there is a sense of I'm avoiding actually grieving. By pretending or by by taking on a separate persona for grief So
0: we don't want to sit in that side of the tension too long. We do want to introduce the other side of that, and that is moving on without processing your actual grief. This is the and type this of- is
1: a reac- this tends to be a reaction to the other yeah. group, right? Because yep. I would say the people that move on without processing, they are either the ones that are looking at the grievers going, no, you got to move on with your life, you got to you know pick yourself up and sometimes it's helpful. Like, hey, you can't just sit here and cry over spilt milk. We got to we gotta move on. Or they go, oh, God, I don't want to be that grieving widow that just obsesses over the person or the thing that I lost. Move on. And so it in a lot of cases, it's a counterpoint reaction is what I've seen. I don't know about you.
0: Yeah, and it's usually done with good intentions, um, even though it, it lacks empathy or care. But the person on this end of the pendulum honestly sees the world differently than the grief stricken person. They're just like, Hey, that happened. That sucks, but we got to move on. The world keeps turning. Mm-hmm. And I am naturally
1: when that the person. world turns that back on you, you turn your back on the world. Hakuna Matata. I mean, like that, that, think that's, that's about Lion either. King. Yeah. But go through, I, go through that process, right? Simba had just lost his father. And now just lost his lineage. I mean, everything about his life, he just lost and he thought his life was over. And the first group of people that he meets that accepts him and actually listens to his story, like immediately goes into a Matata is the next song, which I mean, we all kind of like, okay, it's a fun song, but think about that. in the actual grief standpoint, they literally say like, all right, well, you got to turn your back on the world. Like, I, that stuff s- stuff happens. When bad things happen, you gotta move on. Hakuna matata. Right, exactly.
0: Yep. That's me. N- naturally, uh, I've mentioned on here I'm an Enneagram seven, and one of the things that defines that label is the Enneagram seven. Typically, our core fear is being in pain, and so we kind of intellectualize pain. Oh, that's what it is, and then we move on. We don't want we don't want to sit in it. I mentioned earlier that both my parents died within about three and a half years, and I'm so grief averse that over the course of those three and a half years, I didn't cry a single time. I just moved on. I felt relief that my parents weren't in pain anymore, and honestly, I felt relief that I didn't have to take care of them anymore, as bad as that sounds, but I didn't pay attention to any of the grief. I just buried it. I intellectualized it. I didn't feel it. I just kept things moving. But there came a point where I realized I was I wasn't processing the grief, and that that was actually harming me. There was a point where I, I felt like I was just numb. I couldn't get the energy to do anything. I couldn't get like I, I wasn't excited about anything. And I finally realized that okay, I've got to. There's something going on here that I need to tap into and feel. Um, I needed to to get it out of me so that i could move on and i once i did like oh okay like it hurt for a minute like another thing on shrinking like i don't think this is a spoiler but maybe they they have this idea of give yourself what is it 10 minutes to cry like to all out 100% cry get it all out and then move on but it was like once i grieved like i gave myself some time to do it i don't remember how long it was but i was like oh okay but
1: this side
0: of the pendulum, you just bury everything and move on.
1: Yep. Yeah. And it's, uh, um, I, I do think this comes from a good place, just like the grief, right? Both of these sides. That's why there's attention. There's generally t- times in our, our season where uh, I will look at both sides and I'll say both of these sides of this issue suck. Both extremes are bad and they are wrong. I think in this case, both extremes are almost like, this is what you need in the moment. This is what you need to get yourself through, or this is genuinely coming from a place, a good place of protection. And I think the move on part, you know, I think through the, uh, uh, the movie saving private Ryan. right? You remember being on the beach, uh, storming the beach in Normandy on D day and just the horrific, experience that happens there and there's a one scene where everybody's like pinned down and this big you know this the i don't know whatever the kind of heavy set officer guy stands up and is like do you want to die on this beach let's get our yeah get going and he just like gets everybody up and he starts storming through into what would be like certain death and that inspires people to keep moving because it's like in some cases In our grief, we're stuck on that beach and the bullets are flying. And we think the best thing that we can do is just sit here and not move because moving, moving on is going to be too painful. I can't move on. I, there's, there's too many obstacles in my way. Whereas, like you're saying, this side of the pendulum, the move on person is like that officer that stands up and is like, I'm not going to die here. Right. Like, I'm not going to be stuck here. We're, I'm going to drag your butt up this beach and we're going to go because we have to move on because the sun rises the next day. There's a little bit of nihilism involved in this too, right? Sun rises the next day. Millions of people die every day, blah, blah, blah. You can like justify it away, but you have to, at some point, get yourself moving on. I think both groups want to move on from the pain. One group says the best way to move on from the pain is to avoid it completely. The other group goes, if I can just feel this deeply, enough and get it all out kind of like cry it out then it'll be done. Uh this might be too graphic but again <laughs> to kind of bring us a little lighter it, um uh it, it's like my wife and I well maybe it's yeah, will I'll say this. People have different experiences here uh when it comes to getting sick. I don't know how you are when I know I'm getting sick like throw up sick if in my if in if in like when when my body says hey I think we're going to throw up today. Um, <laughs> what I want to do. Get it out. Have I mean, you ever got there where you like, you just got to get it. Yeah. For me, I am like, uh, I uh, uh, like the scene from breaking bad, which I know is not a show that you've watched, but there's a scene in breaking bad where one of the characters, he takes some poison um, and he knows he's going to throw it up later. He goes into the bathroom. He's a very prim and proper guy. For those of you who've seen it, it's Gus spring and he, He like folds up a towel, puts the towel on the ground, puts his knees on the ground, rolls up his sleeves, unbuttons his tie, puts his tie aside, and then just throws up into the toilet. And it's like, that's how I am. I am like, I'm just going to prepare the toilet area. I'm going to get my pillow, bring it over here because I'm probably going to need to lay down, get my water set, and let's just get it out. It's like the sooner I can get all the nasty out of my body, the better I'm going to feel. Whereas other people are like, oh, no. I think I'm going to throw up today. I need to avoid it. Oh, just shut my eye. Oh, just, uh, the room's spinning. I need to kind of like, uh, how can I avoid it? What do I need? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Both groups are trying to avoid that long-term pain. One group is like, let's just cry it out, get it all out. The other group is like, nope. I, I need to try and dance around it, pretend I'm not sick, try see if I can mentally goose faba, right? Get rid of it. So the awkward thing is it sounds like when it comes to throwing up or when it comes to getting sick, you're, you're getting it all out, right?
0: Yeah it's get, it, get yeah. it over
1: with which is like the different mentality than the grief side which is like okay if i can just justify it away if i could just you know think it out and and uh, so i don't know the other piece of this is like i think there's part of it where we feel like we can take some agency um because in the grieving you almost feel like a victim right it's something that's being done to you the feelings are being done to you whereas on the other side when you're moving on without processing um it's like i'm taking action in this and I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let this event affect me. I'm moving on because I can take action because I can take agency.
0: I, in looking in preparing for this episode, I did some research and I came across an article called understanding avoidance and grief, because I wanted to justify why I feel the way I do, why I like, why I'm on this end of the pendulum. And it's written by a woman named Eleanor Haley. And she wrote avoiding seemingly painful stimuli might prove beneficial in the immediate, but as a short term solution, it's like taking an aspirin to treat a broken arm. It may temporarily dull the sting, but if one doesn't address the broken bone, they will never be able to heal. And I think on this side of the pendulum, it's taking aspirin to treat a broken arm. And we just keep popping the pills over and over and over instead of actually going at the root issue.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I know it's where you're moving into like, so what do we do with this? Yep. So what's the tension? And for me, you know, I I agree with you. I was, I have traditionally been the move on type of person. I've been the, let's rationalize this. Let's, pro, let's, you know, let's justify it away. Let's avoid the pain by moving through it and, and going through it as fast as we can. Get on to the new day. Hakuna Matata. And then events in my life happened where it was like, I just couldn't avoid I got to a spot where my grief cornered me, you know, and that was so tough. And then I started reading, um, you know, a bunch of different books, but I found this one book by Steve Magnus. It's called Do Hard Things. Um, And I would suggest anybody who's in this mentality pick it up. And really, they come from it more of like the uh, how to handle adversity, how to handle tough things, and what toughness means. But he specifically talks through this um, tough times. And it really struck me as to why. You know, it, it, it attracted my, my rational brain as to why I need to actually consider living in grief for a while. He says this, when we choose to ignore or suppress, we first have to direct our attention to a thought or sensation, signaling to our brain that it must be important. If we actively try to push it away or ignore it, we're actually doubling down. Our brain doesn't receive the signal that we should move on. It gets the message that something important must be in the signal. So it amplifies it. Anyone who has told either themselves or others to, quote, chill out or, quote, just forget about it is keenly aware of this phenomenon, ignoring, avoiding and suppressing backfire. And that struck me because, like, if you ever heard this term too, like, you know, Jonathan, somebody says, like, don't think of an elephant. What's the first thing you think of an Elephant. An the elephant? Why? Because or, your brain or, can't process or. a don't. So going yep.
0: back to the youth group days of the show. Yep. I was playing disc golf yesterday wide open hole with one tree. (laughs) I threw directly into that effing tree because it's the one thing I wanted to avoid. I walk up on the tee box. I've got to avoid that tree. I'm looking at that tree. Boom. My disc goes into that tree.
1: You end up drifting. I mean, you'll see it all the time in any sport or like riding the bike. You know, if you're riding your bike and you see a wall, you end up drifting that way. Because our brains can't process a negative. Our brain has to think of the thing in order to, to pick the opposite. So open space and blank space and and that negative side of like, don't think about blank. You have to go, okay, what is blank? All right, actively avoid thinking of that. And so in, in that quote, it was like eye-opening to me to go, okay. So every time I'm like, don't think about my mom. Don't think about my mom. Don't think about how sad I am. Don't think about how sad I am. Don't think about this. Don't think about this. You're, you're telling your brain there's something dangerous with that thought. We better keep it, you know, we, we better keep an eye on it and we better focus some energy on it. When in reality, you're, you're like, your, your brain is working against it because you're, you're saying, don't think about it in the same way as like with your kids. If you said, uh, oh, or bring back to the lion King, right? Uh, uh, everything the light touches is our kingdom. And Simba says, what? what's that dark spot over there? And he says, you must never go there. Right. So guess what's the first thing he wants to do. Go to the place where we're not supposed to go. So that's your Morgan it, Freeman. It works at. Uh, not no, Morgan not Freeman. Really. What am I, I doing? Morgan Freeman. It was a, a, James Earl Jones.
0: Yeah. James Earl Jones. What am I doing? Yeah.
1: James Darth Vader. Uh, so yeah, he says, don't go there. So immediately Simba wants to go there, which is why it doesn't work. And because we have to talk about, you know, hashtag purity culture in almost every episode, Same reason why bounce your eyes doesn't work, right? Like think about when you were in youth group and you're walking over and it's like, "Uh, dude, dude, there's a hot chick over there. Don't look. What's the first thing we do? Look, we look because you have to look to bounce your eyes, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, boobs. Don't look at the boobs. You're going to look at the boobs.
0: 100%. All right. Well, as much as we could keep making jokes about that, we do want to keep things moving here. So as we move into the back half of the episode and talk about how we live in attention in more like specific detail than what we've been talking about, uh, I want to start with the back half of that quote from Eleanor Haley, because she writes, in order to gain understanding, perspective and tolerance for the pain of grief, one needs to allow themselves to actually feel it, face it and be present with it in the moment and in the future. And I think there are two biblical concepts that can guide us as we live in this tension. The first comes from Psalm thirty-four eighteen, the It's a verse you've, you've all heard. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. For those of you who maybe you're more like me and you don't want to deal with the pain of grief because it feels overwhelming or like you just don't want to go there the Lord's near to you. Like that, that's, that's an encouragement. He saves those who feel overwhelmed and crushed. And my encouragement to you, as we talk through the rest of this episode is that you can trust that God is going to be with you as you deal with your pain and your grief. It's not something you're going to have to deal with on your own, as if you're the only person going through it. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. So your grief is not something you have to do on your own. Your pain is not something you're going to experience on your own. Jesus himself, we'll talk about this in a few minutes, he experienced grief on this earth, so he understands what you are going through and will be there with you through whatever it is you need to feel.
1: I think that's something that you really need to hear when you're talking about the one side that wants to move on and really for both sides. But it's like, um, I think, I think we're not always willing to admit it, but the move on group, um, there's this acknowledgement that either we have to face this alone or we're going to face this alone. If I start thinking about my grief too much, I think about how alone I am. And so that's the type of thing that uh, provides comfort for me. Is like there's a there's a negative side of me that says, uh, "Yeah, Jonathan, you've lost your parents, but you didn't lose your your mom the way I did, right? Or you're not going through the same things I did. You don't, or get it. this or that or the other. Yeah, you don't get it, even though you definitely get it. And You probably get it in ways that I don't get it, right? So uh, there's this sense of I'm going to have to face this alone." Or I feel very alone now when those emotions come in because I don't want to bring those emotions out because I don't have anybody, anything like that. So wherever you're at, there's that sense that, uh, that pro- that if I stop to process my grief, it's actually going to be very lonesome, and that's why I love having some of that acknowledgement that you're no matter what you're not going to be alone in this.
0: And on the other side, for the tension that wants to live in the grief. Where I went when I was thinking through this was John 16, which is probably my favorite verse in the Bible. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. And that may not feel like it applies here, but for those of you who feel like you can't get out of your grief, I hope you can find hope in this promise from Jesus because he promises there will be suffering in this world that means whatever you're going through those feelings it didn't catch him by surprise he knew mm-hmm. you were going to go through it but he, even knowing that he encourages you to face the world and your grief courageously knowing that he has already conquered the world and here's the piece mm-hmm. of this verse that a lot of people don't realize because it's written in John and not one of the other three gospels it was it, he Jesus said this As part of the upper room, it was immediately before he was about to be crucified. We normally don't put it in the same time period as that upper room story, because we're used to reading like the foot washing and all those other things. But these were some of Jesus's last words to his followers. He knew they were about to experience overwhelming grief. And he said this to encourage them to be courageous in their suffering. He didn't minimize it. He didn't say they shouldn't feel the way they feel. He told them to be courageous, that they could make it through their grief because he has overcome it
1: already. I think it's interesting that you said that he didn't minimize it or say they shouldn't feel the way they feel. Because unfortunately, and I want to speak to a group of, you know, people who've experienced church hurt. I think what happens is in the church we use is we use that sort of text as a weapon. To tell people to get over it, right? Oh, Jesus experienced everything you experience, and so much more. He's grieved so many more things. Um, so it, what we're not, what what we're not saying out loud, but the underlying statement is, so you should be able to get over it. So you shouldn't feel bad. So you shouldn't be stuck. So your grief, like we use it to justify moving on. Hey, move on. Let's go. Uh, or you know, the old like they're in a better place type of conversation. The implication is, so don't be sad. But what I love about these things is like, not only do you see examples of Jesus grieving in the Bible, even to the point where he was grieving the loss of Lazarus, he was grieving um, his impending death to the point that he sweat droplets of blood. You know, there were just different times where Jesus has acknowledged that grief is okay. And so, Um, if you have been told by a church leader, by someone who represents themselves as a Christian, any one of these things in, in scripture as a way to try and justify making you feel like you shouldn't grieve or you should move on or, or what, or you shouldn't feel the way you feel. I want you to hear that from us. Like, I'm sorry that that happened to you. That's not right. And I think that the, the true meaning and intention behind that is much more along the lines of, Jesus makes space for grief because he acknowledges grief and he acknowledges the grieving process and he acknowledges that there will be there will be tough times and you can grieve through it and you can overcome it so if
0: Jesus tells us there will be tough times if he says he will be with us through it all and that he has overcome it I think one of the things we have to realize is that when it comes to to the tension of living between processing your grief and moving on, we have to understand that grief never fully goes away. When mm-hmm. we're a- actually available to our emotions, we realize grief can hit us out of nowhere. And because of that, we have to learn how to navigate life when it hits. A couple months ago, I was scrolling through Instagram and came across a quote from some an author named Taylor Jenkins Reed. Now I have no clue anything about this author apart from this quote from her book, one true loves, but I thought the quote fit perfectly with this episode. She writes, you start to understand that grief is chronic, that it's more about remission and relapse than it is about a cure. What that means to you is that you can't simply wait for it to be over. You have to move Mm -hmm. through it like swimming with an undertow. So if you're living in grief right now, my hope and my encouragement to you is to have courage, knowing Jesus is with you in your suffering and allow that courage to let you start swimming through the undertow. It's going to be exhausting, but it's the only way out. And yeah. for those of you it's, who tend to be more, well, like before me, you move on to like,
1: I mean, you're, you're, a, you're a beach goer, right? You know, yes. so you, you understand this. If you swim in the ocean, that undertow or that current, what's the worst thing that you can do with the undertow and the current is swim against it. So if you think about that idea, that grief is pulling you out to sea, if you say, Oh shoot, I need to swim against it back to the shore. You're you're actually just going to tire yourself out. You're going to drown. You're going to be overcome by it, but you have to like, I love that quote of like learning how to swim against an an undertow or or a riptide, I guess is what you would really call it is you now have to swim parallel to it. You know, you have to like swim parallel to where you want to be to get out of it in order to swim back. And it just, it reminds me, you know, the quote from the book, um, that do hard things. He, Magnus says, opening oneself up to experience, whatever thought or sensation enters our conscious awareness does not give that sensation power. It drains it of its control. I say that again, it does not give that sensation power it drains it's it drains it of its control because research shows that when we practice opening ourselves up to discomfort we are better positioned to handle it our brain dampens down the tendency to jump straight from feeling a sensation to sounding the alarm so that idea of like oh man I had this triggering event and now all of a sudden I'm a basket case now right except he goes on acceptance creates space allowing us to let the sensation float away or evaluate and reframe it so i think that you know Transitioning into that type of person that wants to bury things, keep moving. I'm reminded of that scene from Fight Club. Now, I know all the good Christians listening have never seen Fight Club. If you're in youth group, that was probably one on the band list. I've never seen Fight Club. Is this for real? I'm 100% serious. Oh, man, you grew up in that bubble, Jonathan. Okay, great. That's fine. You shouldn't watch Fight Club. There's a bunch of things in Fight Club that aren't, you know, wholesome or whatever. Anyway, so in Fight Club, There's a scene with Brad Pitt and Ed Norton where he takes lie. They're talking about how to make soap and he actually gives him a chemical burn on his hand and Brad Pitt is giving him a chemical burn and Ed Norton in that moment is like he's going to therapy and so he's using all these like disassociation techniques. He wants to go to his like his his cave to avoid the pain. And Brad Pitt is like slapping him. Is like, no, you can't do this BS. You can't avoid it. You have to feel it. The only way you can get through this is feeling it, and then getting in a rational mind and moving away from it. And so, for those of you uh, heathens like me that have seen Fight Club, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That in this pain and this grief, some of us want to be like Ed Norton, and we go, nope, nope, nope. I'm going to ignore that, that there, there's pain here. I'm going to go to my cave. And what you need is you need Brad Pitt slapping you in the face to say no. Feel it. So that you can actually process it. And in the movie, you know, spoiler alert, he actually gets vinegar and dumps it on his hand to neutralize the burn. Cause if we would like, ah, freak out, I'm going to get water and dump it on. It would only spread it and make it worse. And so it's like, don't make those dumb decisions because you haven't actually processed your pain.
0: Because when we don't process our, our grief, it begins to impact our day-to-day decisions without us even realizing it. If we're mm-hmm. not careful, a lot of times our unprocessed grief will end up hurting our friendships. It'll hurt our marriage. It'll hurt our relationship with our kids. Ultimately, it'll hurt our relationship with Jesus as well. And there's a quote from Shrinking that I think it was, I don't remember what character said it, but um, it said, grief is a crafty little effort. It sneaks up on you. And I think when we think about this, like when we... When we want to run away to our cave so that we don't have to deal with it, grief is going to be crafty and it's going to sneak up on us. And whether we acknowledge it or not, it's definitely there. And so at some yeah. point when we least expect it, it's going to sneak up on us and it's going to knock us out if we don't actually take the time to process it.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that that is something that you, you need to realize that it is there, whether you, whether you want to accept it or not or address it or not, it's still going to be there. And I think, I don't know if you've seen this meme on uh, or, you know, this image on social media or whatever, but it talks about grief and loss and there's this drawing of a box and the box is you. And then like there's a circle inside the box and the circle represents whatever pain you have. And anytime that pain touches the outside of the box, that's when we experience it. And grief isn't about getting rid of it. It's about minimizing the circle so that it doesn't hit you as often or when it does, it's not as impactful. And the only way to do that is not to ignore that it exists, but is to, you know, work through it. And I mean, obviously you can tell, we're going to talk about the different sides. I have swung the pendulum from the just move on to the actual live in your grief, but it's because I now believe that the best way for you to just move on is to really sit through it, let it subside and then go, you know, you cannot ignore it, but you cannot allow it to define you. So maybe I'm not on that. I intellectually the in there with pension.
0: you, like, obviously yeah. we're doing the show because I believe that. Oh yeah. Practically I'm still making the move. I like. I still mm-hmm. av- avoid a lot of my feelings. I still intellectualize a lot of them. Um, but I understand the importance of this. And as I've studied the idea of grief more, I do see a biblical framework for this and a biblical example of how we're supposed to do this. And it's it's kind of where I want to leave the episode today, because regardless of which side of the pendulum you might be on, there's a story from Jesus that you've heard a thousand times, guarantee it. But I'm hoping it might hit a little different in light of this conversation, and it comes from John 11 when one of Jesus's best friends died. Eric, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. John 11:35. But the whole story, just to give actual background and perspective with it. Jesus could have prevented this from happening. He could have avoided the whole thing and helped Lazarus from afar by just saying, boom, he's healed. He could have moved right to the raising him from the dead part once he found out Lazarus was dead. But in his humanity, he stopped. He felt what he needed to feel as a human being, and he wept. He didn't He didn't pass on, so he took the time to grieve. And then the text says, after an appropriate amount of time, it does not define what this amount of time was. And I'm not going to put an appropriate amount of time on your grief as well. There is an appropriate amount of time that you need to grieve. Eric, you mentioned earlier in the Jewish tradition a lot of times, it's that seven days of, of like intense grief right away, and then mm-hmm. you kind of get moving a little bit in your life. But whatever that appropriate amount of time is for you, for Jesus, we don't know what it was, but he got up and he continued on with what he was going to do. And here's the part I want you to see because this is the part that I didn't realize for the longest time. Once G- we, we like to think Jesus wept and then he healed Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth, we're all done. Cool story moves on, we're happy, and Lazarus is back to life. But in verse 38, once Jesus finished weeping, And when he moved to call Lazarus back to life, it says that he was, quote, deeply moved again. So Jesus didn't just get up and never feel sorrow for the situation again. He wept. He grieved for an appropriate amount of time. And then even when he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead and he was in complete control of everything, he still was deeply moved again. Mm hmm. And I think that shows us a lot of the humanity of Jesus, but it also shows us a perspective of how we're going to go about life. We need to grieve for an appropriate amount of time. We need to get up and get moving after that appropriate amount of time. But when the grief hits us again, we need to be deeply moved again and feel it so that we can continue moving on. Yeah.
1: And wherever you're at in that process, too, you know, because I, I appreciate that you admitted, like, I get it intellectually, but I still react the other way. Um I think you see in that scene, too, you know, the uh, some of Mary and Martha and Lazarus's friends come out to, to meet Jesus and they say, like, Lazarus is already dead. No point in coming now. Right. He, were, he was sick. Now he's dead. No point. Move on. And Jesus could have turned around and said, ah, let the dead bury the dead, right? Because he also, he also said that. (laughs) And then he could have just walked on and kept going, right? Um, he didn't have anything like that pithy to say. He didn't, you know, do any of those sort of things. So I think, you know, if you're in the situation where, you know, I would agree with you. I'm, I'm basically there too. Um, at least when we can recognize and make space for others to grieve, I think that's the important first step. So if you're on the pendulum side of just move on, Maybe reevaluating the way that we counsel others through their grief or the the way that we empathize with others through their grief probably needs to change. That's an important first step. Even if it doesn't happen for you, the, at the very least, some of the things that we can do to kind of um, whether it's unlearn bad things from church or heal some some typical bad church experiences or things that are have happened in the church is like, let's at least stop being the messengers that came to Jesus and say, yep, he's dead, no point in coming now, move on, and actually be like Jesus and model what Jesus said and allow an appropriate amount of time for grief.
0: Because at the end of the day, grief is chronic. It's not about finding a cure, and it's not about moving on forever. It's about having trust that God's with you through the pain and having the courage to move through it as it happens. Eric, that's all I've got for today. You got anything you want to leave us on?
1: No, I just want to encourage all of you, whatever you're grieving from, uh, or if you've ignored grief for a long time, um, hopefully this helps you take a step towards, towards healing, towards processing, towards moving on. And, uh, if there's anything that we could do to help, let us know. We've got an email, we've got social media, all that good stuff.
0: Yep. You can reach out. Uh, Eric is at Eric W seven one two on all the major platforms. I am at Jonathan underscore Corona on them as well. You can email us at hello at tension We'd love to help you process this. If you have questions about any of it next week, we're going to be bringing you the episode that honestly I've been looking forward to the most this season. It's a little bit nerdy and you've heard it teased throughout different episodes, but it's the tension between American individualism And the collectivism of the culture in the Bible and what that was written to it. Mm -hmm. You may not be interested in that by my description. And it's because I can't describe it very well, but I promise this tension will absolutely change the way you read the Bible. And it's an episode that if you don't listen to any other episode this season, I really want you to come back next week and listen to that one. So go ahead and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform or on YouTube. So you can get that next Monday morning. Rate us and review us wherever you get podcasts. Uh, Share this episode with a friend if you think it might help them. But as always, we just want to thank you for making us a part of your day. And we'll talk to you again next week. See ya.